Hey, everybody. Just a couple things. First, we had some technical disasters while recording this episode, so the sound is kind of weird. Apologies for that. Also, thanks to one of my true crime heroes, Aphrodite Jones, for being on the show today. Make sure you check out her podcast, Sex, Love, and Murder, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. And finally, don't forget the next Unpop stand-up show is happening next week, Wednesday, September 6th at the Alex Theater in Glendale. I'll be hosting Carrie Martin, Chet Wilde, Vanessa Gritton, and John Fahey from the Unpops Network will be there telling jokes. And your headliner is my friend and former co-worker, Alex Schmidt. Go to eventbrite.com and search for Unpops to reserve your spot. Thanks. We'll see you there. Enjoy the show. El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Hey, welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then, I'd come on this show to defend those opinions. But now I don't really do any of that shit, I just do this show. Joining me today, he's one of the best comics working right now. Even better, he's my co-host on the What in the World podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, he is a staple of the Unpops Network, Quincy Johnson II. Also joining me, she's written eight best-selling books about true crime. She hosts a TV show on Investigation Discovery called True Crime. And she's the host of the Sex, Love, and Murder podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Aphrodite Jones. It's going to be a great show. Everybody, oh, 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 what? Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, I like this. This yeah. is fun. I like an unpopular opinion with me and Quincy on it. You and Quincy, and we're going to call our other guest in a second, Aphrodite Jones. Yeah, mighty Aphrodite Jones. True crime writer. We're going to talk about the Michael Jackson trial. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, we're also going to talk about the Bill Cosby retrial. Oh, okay. I'm going to have, as an ally, I'm not allowed to talk about this. Aphrodite Jones. Wait, 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 real quick. What do you mean, ally? <laughs> <laughs> ally to Michael Jackson. Yikes! But, uh,. No, it, it's, uh, this is going to be a really interesting episode. Michael Jackson is one of those celebrity cases where I, for the longest time, have been like, oh, yeah, he definitely, definitely did that. And Aphrodite Jones wrote a book called Michael Jackson Conspiracy. And after reading like it... an album. Yeah, it does. And after reading it, I am not so sure. So we're going to call her in a few minutes Adam reads books. This is this chit is, chat with her. I know it's weird. Hearing Adam say that this is literally uh, the whole birther scandal with Trump all over again. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. This is this is a sad. This is a new day, man. So before we give her a call, how's everyone doing? Quincy Johnson's here. Hey guys, I'm Quincy Johnson. I'm great, man. Hanging out, having a good time. It's hot outside. It's been a while since you've been on a an Unpops cast. Yeah, I've been avoiding you basically. Oh yeah, I try to I try to work you guys with you as little as possible. You guys were just recording when I walked in here. Don't tell people that. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hey, Fave. Oh, wow, uh, way to destroy the magic. Hey, Fave, baby. <laughs> way to destroy the magic, Jeff. This yeah, is, this yeah, is, that's this what is, I do. This is that was way too inside baseball. I'm not. People I'm not. I'm the, the second grader that finds out about Santa and tells Adam. Class. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I haven't been here in a while. My first time back. Jeff ruins everything. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, I join mean, my new show. Jeff ruins. Jeff everything. ruins everything on True TV. Nice. So Court TV. It's warm. It is. I have the air pumping. Crested to 102. Yeah, it in is. In the old Burbank today. It is toasty in L.A. these those, days. Those, those old folks in Burbank can die. If you ain't Conan O'Brien, you you melting in Burbank today. Yeah, yeah. It's bad times. That's all right. So, Jeff, how have you been? Good. I was in Palm Springs this weekend. 120 yesterday. Jeez. Yeah, I like that graphic you posted where... Uh, when it said 113, it said heating up. And the day before, it was 108. It's like it was heating up the day before. Yeah. Once it hits triple digits, it's heating up. I, I, I drove by a church with that has one of those, like, billboards. That it, shows the, it shows the temperature. Okay. 
And I was like, I think once it hits 120, you have to admit there's no God. That's yeah. <laughs> once you get to that, you're like, mm, okay, yeah, we're going to shut this down now. Yeah. That town shouldn't exist. It like, Palm Springs shouldn't exist. Like, right. when you go there, you're like, this is all artificial. It's hot as fuck. It's, it's abrasive to the human condition. Everything that exists here is only because of, like, crazy irrigation to get stuff in there. Like, well, look at your tan, tan, though. So it's like, it's worth it when you look at your tan. Yeah, yeah you're crispy right now, John. Yeah, man, we just have the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> Turn these lights. I practically glow, man. This yeah. Uh, Wolf lamp ain't even on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just absorbing my natural light. Did you see we finally hung prints up? Oh, I saw that. I, I, I was looking in the market uh, for stuff for you, and I almost got you uh, a record that was... Uh, do you see the RoboCop one that I oh, got? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that, but it was kind of Prince. Oh, nice. That was the exact same picture. Oh, wow. And I was just like, well, that would be egregious. Yeah. So instead, I got you nothing. Well, I mean, that's egregious, too, but it's fine. So uh, should we should we get Aphrodite Jones on the horn? Sure. Are we excited? Who here thinks Michael Jackson's guilty? I, I do. I, I, I think I do. Yeah, I still have some questions. Nah. I, my follow-up questions are, uh, hey, what's up with all that porn? Yeah, I did want to pull all that child-related pornography. That literally, he just didn't erase his browser history. That's all. Like he just looked at. It. No, 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 no. See, not erasing your browser history is the preface of that's all. The uh, all part is the stuff before that didn't erase the browser history. Oh shit! I forgot to plug part of this in. Watch your ears, everybody. I'm gonna leave my thing plugged in. Ah! Oh, why did I not? Oh, why was it not even on? That's why I didn't hear that. You know, it felt good. So when we uh, talk to her, she will be hearing us through the microphone on this laptop. Okay. So we'll have to just speak up if you ask her any questions. Oh, Aphrodite, what do you got going on with that? (laughs) About to drive at five. All right. Let's give her a call. I wish I had a good uh, Larry King impression. Yeah, what if we were all just in doing person? That's all I remember from Larry. Impressions. In person. In person. Mm. And that's loud. Turn it up. All right? Turn. Hey! Is this Aphrodite? There you are. Really good. How are you? Thank you for doing the show. We really appreciate it. This is Adam. I am uh, one of the hosts. My co host, Jeff May, is here. Hey. And. Quincy Hi. Johnson. Hi, how are Comedian you? Comedian Quincy Johnson, our other guest. Pleasure, pleasure. So, uh, just to uh, tell people a little about you, uh, this is Aphrodite Jones that we're talking to. She's written eight best-selling true crime books. What? Eight, eight books? Right? I haven't even uh, read eight books. There aren't that many words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, host of True Crime with Aphrodite Jones on Investigation Discovery. Nice. And host of the Sex, Love, and Murder podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And keynote speaker at CrimeCon 2017. What is a CrimeCon? CrimeCon was actually the first ever kind of eternity Comic-Con event. And it actually was very successful. Over a thousand people came to Indianapolis from all over the world, believe it or not. um, Primarily the United States, but I mean Alaska and Hawaii, crazy places that they flew in from it. Nancy Grace, myself, Dr. Mankiewicz, and others were there, um, top people from the FBI, um, and there, there were, you know, loads of speakers, and the guys who uh, prosecuted um, Stephen Avery also were there, you know, they held Making a Murderer, so there were quite oh. a handful, and, you know, people got to hear us speak about the inside stuff that goes on behind the scenes, you know, when you're really doing crime stories, rather than just, uh, you know, producing them for television or producing them for films, etc. So, I mean, people loved it, and they're going to continue with it. The next one is in uh, Nashville in 2018. So, it seems to be, you know, some people love crime, and they love it more now than ever, which is strange to me, but it's, I guess it's good for me. I don't know. Well, it's, cool. it's funny, too, because um, when you think about, like, what people used to be into crime and serial killers, and you'd usually be like, uh, don't, don't look at me. Like, kind of steer clear of those people. And now it's become so mainstream that it's kind of like this thing. It's like, yeah, a convention does make sense now. Well, that's it. And, it's, it, you know, as far as I me thinking that it was strange when I was approached by that, the people who did that convention, I was like, Jesus, like, you know, I, I, are people going to really pay for this? And they charged, all the speakers did for free. But um, apparently, you know, people want to know. I mean, it's now that they're into hearing about how murders are solved and, you know, what kind of cases, you know, who's getting 
prosecuted, they might be innocent, and all the rest of it. And I mean, this crazy um, evolution of podcasts, you know, I mean, crime podcasts, uh, it's just like they're brought by the heaps and mounds. Almost definitely. Yeah, I mean, people, people kind of feel like they want to really know the, the characters and players and the, like I said, the inside story. So, yeah, makes sense. Oh, very cool. Well, congratulations on all your success with CrimeCon. It's great. I, um, I'm, I read the Michael Jackson book over the weekend, and I really want to talk about that. That is, I think, uh, media trials are, uh, I mean, obviously, they've been a huge part of our society and our culture for decades now. And uh, the Michael Jackson trial is one of those trials where I just kind of always assumed that we got the we got the whole story, and he just had the money to beat the case. And after reading your book, he beat it. <laughs> he beat it. Give me five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after reading your book, it really changed my mind. And uh, so I, I want to just kind of talk about that a little bit. What was the? Uh, I, I like the. You made a point in the book about what the atmosphere was like in that courtroom and how it kind of made people a little more sympathetic to what Michael Jackson himself was going through in terms of the constant attention and scrutiny he got. What Can you talk a little bit about what it was like in that courtroom? Sure. And first of all, you got to put it in perspective that as big as O.J.'s trial was and as much as we think of O.J. as being the trial of the century, fact is Michael Jackson had and has perhaps more fans than anybody in the world and certainly did when, when he was alive and uh, so you had 2,400 credentialed media covering this. Think about this. It's over 2,000 media people covering this trial from all over the world and then you had, I don't know, just as many fans outside the gates screaming and yelling and they were going up and back and forth to Neverland and they were flying in from all parts of the world. It was really, um, it, I, mean, I don't know how else to describe it but other than a media circus. Wow. And that was outside. That was on the outside. Right. But the, thing, the thing was that no cameras were allowed inside. So everything was being filtered through the media. And when I wrote this book, Adam, I really felt like I was writing the end of my career. Really? Because I was outing the media, and I had worked for Fox News on that, for Bill O'Reilly to cover it, and, you know, I realized that I was being steered by the Fox producers um, and by O'Reilly, you know, who had his own definite bias against Jackson, as did most of the media, and they didn't ever want to hear anything that could possibly be exculpatory, that I was just never asked those questions. So, in other words, on days where there was, were things where the defense were winning points, they didn't want to even have me on. They didn't want to cover it. They just wanted to cover, you know, stuff that was sensational, pajama day, you know, when McCall Kelly covered the show, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I eventually wrote that book because I realized that once the trial was over and Jackson was exonerated, the whole media circus just pulled up their stakes and left. And nobody ever said a word about, hey, I guess we were wrong, or, you know, maybe we made a mistake, or there was just never anything. It was like, it was over. Right. Moved on to Natalie Holloway. That was the next story. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is that the public never actually saw or heard what really went down at the trial and why the jury found him not guilty. This all took place during that time period before the 24 hour news cycle? No, no, no. No, this no. Was no. no. Oh, this was in 2005. This was, yeah. you know, this was the. <laughs> prelude to Michael Jackson's death as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Once he was run out of Santa Barbara, Mesereau told him, leave Santa Barbara. You'll never be you'll never be left alone here in peace. So he left and he went to Bahrain, if you recall, and he went to Ireland for a while and he landed back in the States and that's when he went to do his finally he went to Vegas and started to, you know, get involved with his this is it tour. But by that time he was a man without a country, a man without a home. And think about Michael Jackson, the most recognizable person on the planet. Where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go wow. to have any kind of refuge if you don't have a home to go to? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's kind of like a man out. He's just out. He's just got to walk around as like a pariah, almost. He, he, was a, he was a pariah, but also, in person, people, 
it wasn't a pariah. People loved him. And they just wanted to be next to him and take pictures and get his autograph and rub, rub his shoulder and touch him. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, how, you, you, how do you function? Yeah. You can't function. Yeah, you can't get a moment's peace. Yeah. Every minute. Wow. I say, yeah, you can't get a moment's peace, let alone uh, you still have that chip on your shoulder from never getting those retractions or getting any innocence broadcast in the media. Yeah, yeah. And you still have media now coming after him saying, oh, there's another accusation, and oh, this, and oh, that. I mean, it it just never ended for him. But, you know, I got to know Michael Jackson because, obviously, I saw him, I spoke with him briefly, I asked him some questions as a media person. And I got to know him also at the trial because I'm watching him every single day for five months. And the, the, the what I got to see of this person was that he was very, very humble, very shy, which you never kind of expect, I don't think, from Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also kind of uh, almost naive in, in a sense that, I mean, he let Martin Bashir get open access to him for that documentary because he thought Bashir was going to make him into this wonderful guy who loved kids. He wanted to do a children's international holiday, which might sound goofy, but that's what he wanted. Right. And, you know, Bashir just took that, took advantage and took that opportunity to basically set Jackson up. Wow. Bring the, the kid in, Arvizo, yeah. this kid with cancer, who Jackson had helped in blood drives and whatnot with the family. And bring him up to Neverland and say, okay, let's shoot something with this kid that, that you help so we can show how you help children. And then Bashir, according to my sources, suggested that they hold hands. So uh, Bashir set it up that they sit on the bed, that they hold hands. And it wasn't just my own sources. It, we saw it in trial, too. There was testimony to this fact. Okay? All right. Oh, man. And, and you know, we testified to that, the mother of the accuser. So think about that. Right. It's not somebody that's a pro Jackson person because she wants this conviction to go her way so that she can have a civil suit filed so she can collect twenty million dollars. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that was that was sorry to cut yeah, go on go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say that was one of the really interesting things in the book to me. We never when this trial was happening, we never heard anything about the testimony from the two kids uh, that, or the, the, the Arvizu kids. And I think part of it had to do with the fact that the, the Pope was dying at the time. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. There, there were a couple of things going on. The Pope was dying, and so a lot of media picked up in the middle of it all and went over to Rome. So that was one thing. Um, but the truth of the matter is, as I said before, Nobody in the media wanted to hear that the testimony of the Aviso kids, which are the accuser and his brother and sister, that nobody wanted to hear that they had conflicting testimony. Right. They heard themselves on the stand. That Jay Leno came up on the stand and was called as a defense witness. Wow. Jay Leno, think about this. Leno was his career making fun of Michael Jackson. I mean, part of his career, at the end of his career, it never ended, um, with making jokes on Jackson. He was called, and he came in and testified and said that these are a visa family because the kid had cancer. They were calling all kinds of celebrities, asking for money and blood drives and this. And through Make-A-Wish, they called Jay Leno, and they got through to him. And he spoke to the boy, the accuser, Gavin Arvizo, and Leno tells the courtroom that the, the kid sounded rehearsed, that the kid sounded, quote, overly effusive. And he could hear a woman in the background telling the kid what to say. So, in other words, and he, and he Leno, and I, I have actually met Leno on a couple of occasions. This is a guy who, you know, would give his right arm for charity. He's really good that way. He told his people, don't ever let them get through to me again. Wow. This is what he testified to understand. So, I mean, these people, the Arvizos, they were after George Lopez who testified that they, they you know, were trying to pull the wool over his eyes. And badgering him to do comedy fundraisers for them. They went after Chris Tucker. They wound up on the set of Rush Hour 3. And they were staying in a hotel at Chris Tucker's expense. Tucker was doing fundraisers for them. And then they had the audacity to like move up to the fancier hotel that Tucker was living in. It was staying in on, on, on location. I mean, and Tucker said to Michael Jackson, watch out, Mike. These are not the people you think they are. Hmm. You know, and Jackson just... You know, he's living in his own world anyway, 
And when these people are in Neverland, you have to understand, Neverland is 2,700 acres. People, if, you're not, if you've never been there and you don't think about think about 2,700 acres. Yeah, you could be on one side and have no idea what's happening on the other end of the property. Yeah. And they were. There were times when they were there, and the kid even testified, the accuser, he was there, and Michael supposedly wasn't on the property, and he saw Michael somehow, you know, whatever, in a golf cart going by or whatever it was, and he got really upset and hurt that Michael hadn't let him know that Michael was on the property because that was really what it was about is the kid was feeling rejected by Michael Jackson because after the documentary was filmed, Jackson didn't want his family around anymore. He already helped them. Now he did the documentary with Bashir. Now, you know, they were overstaying their welcome at Neverland, but he was, you know, he had enough guest house and whatever that, okay, fine, whatever. But he was going on with his world. And that's what's so interesting, guys, about this, is that it was after the Bashir documentary aired, and the whole world just went crazy. Oh, my God, he's holding hands with his kid in the bed, saying, we sleep in the same bed together. And everybody's going bonkers to get a hold of Jackson and or this Arbizo family. This is when they say that Jackson molested the boy. Not not when he filmed the Bashir documentary. Not when the kid was actually on the property in Neverland. Not when Jackson was helping the kid with cancer, who had no hair on his head and was in a wheelchair. No, no. After the Bashir documentary aired, this family of grifters said that then Jackson's people brought them to him so that they could figure out how they're going to, you know, uh, quell all this media craziness because it wasn't true. In that time frame, when they're trying to be handlers of, you know, the whole craziness of the media with Bashir, this is when the family says that the, the kids say, Michael abused and molested the boy. Yeah, that that was one of the, that's a thing I definitely didn't know prior to reading the book, and that's the thing that I think kind of changed my mind the most, is that timeline makes no sense. Like, why at that moment would he decide, fine, this is when I'm going to finally molest this kid? Yeah, like, well, I mean, it makes no sense. We all have to make that decision. <laughs> you know, just... It's not a myth, it's a win. minutes, Barbara Walters, the whole world calling, you know, everybody down Michael Jackson's throat, and he's got his people bringing this family over to him to say, look, okay, you'll be at Neverland, we'll figure this out. They made a video at Neverland, which we saw in court, where they talked, and this is the family now, with the mother and the three kids, saying, we call him Daddy Michael. This is when she, the mother Yeesh. said also, you know, we, we, he holds hands, and we was told to hold hands, and on the documentary, and he's been so good to my son, and, and the kid is going, yeah, he told me to eat up all the cancer like Pac-Man, and he really helped me, and he made me fight through this. And, I mean, this is what we kept seeing over and over again, that Michael Jackson was the only person who cared about them, and uh, Michael Jackson was the only one who really was there for them through this cancer battle, which was made, this video was made after the Bashir documentary aired. So in the time frame that they were supposed, the kid was supposed to be molested, they make this video praising Michael to the to the end of the grave. Yeah, yes. that seems that's fishy. It's, that yeah, fishy. it's very fishy. It's funny too because um, I don't mean to be like the guy that's like, well, but like, do you think a lot of this has to do with just the reputation Michael had in the past? Like, I mean, it, this wasn't his first ever settlement or anything involved where people are like, oh, this is the kid touching guy. Yeah, let's go after him. Well, absolutely. I, I, there's no question about that. I mean, look, he made a settlement with Jordy Chandler, and it was for $20 million. And when that happened, I don't think anybody on the planet decided that, oh, he just decided to throw his money away. And it was Nothing happened there. People feel that that was, uh, you know, smoke and fire, and, you know, it, that it meant absolutely something happened. However, I interviewed Michael Jackson's manager, Frank DeLeo, who's now deceased, but at the time, he was actually at the trial. He was no longer the manager, but he was there to support Michael. And he told me that, and it's on my show, True Crime, and you can download it and watch it. DeLeo says to me, we canceled Jackson to give the money to Jory Chandler because to him, it would be like a quarter. And I'm like, a quarter? Like $20 million is like a quarter? And, and DeLeo was insisting. He said, yeah, because at that time, Jackson stood to make billions of dollars and he was his machine. This is in the 80s, making huge money for everybody. And they, you know, they, 80s and 90s, they were not going to lose their money, their, their golden goose. So they thought that by paying off Chandler, 
that everything would go away. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't upset your superstar who was printing the money. And as opposed to dragging him through a trial, you just settled because that's that money really means nothing. That's the logic behind that decision making. What, what's so stupid about it is how are you going to prove that in a trial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Truth of the matter is, they gave him really foolish advice. Yeah, yeah, it's hard because whenever you see a settlement, the natural um, sort of uh, decision that the, the brain kind of goes to, "Oh, you settled guilty," like that. Which that's, I that's I don't great. necessarily agree with that because yeah. think of all the people. Me and Quincy were talking about a guy uh, before the show, a guy I knew. Excuse me, as a kid who. He made his whole living showing up at grocery stores and seeing water on the floor and going, oh, I slipped. You owe me $5,000. And they would just settle because why Why fight the lawsuit? So I don't... It's like giving into terrorist demands. Yeah, I think it's... Well, it's a good point. And and again, this is the thing that Tom Mesro was able to do during the trial is he was able to actually untangle all the previous accusers because they all took the stand and some of them had gotten a settlement of a million dollars or this and that and you know some of them claimed that they were in psychological uh, psychiatric help for the rest of their lives because he tickled them there were bizarre claims from some of these people and some of them were um you know people whose family members worked at neverland it, it just seeing it in person and being there in person you really question whether or not any of these accusers had anything valid or anything really happened to them. Wow. And, you know, and yet, as we reported on the news, there were workers who were um, disgruntled employees who also took the stand to say, oh, we, you know, we saw him in the, bubble, in the jacuzzi with kids, and we saw him here, we saw him there. So that's what reported. Yeah, it, right. There's a lot of there's a lot about Jackson that points to just a massive case of arrested development. I mean, there's so much from the you know physical abuse from from his father. You hear it almost in the voice, and then sort of the actions around kids, where he's just like, I just like to be around kids. Like it's like he's nine. It's yeah, sort of a, a, in his actions. Um, no question about it. I mean, when he talks about going up in a tree and, and performing music and writing his songs sitting in his tree, and it, I was back then, I thought he was guilty, and I was laughing. I'm like, this guy is a nut, you know, like, how crazy can you be? But, you know, this is who he was. I mean, think about it. He had a chimpanzee, Bubbles. That was yeah. one of his best friends. I mean, he was in his own world. This guy was not living in the world that we understand. And he was famous from the time he was could remember he was on stage from the time he was five mm-hmm. he, he, his fame grows yeah. very quickly he's a product more than he is a person at this point in time to to most of the american people like people don't pers- you know it's like he's a living person but people mostly look at him and be like oh that's just michael jackson that's just not a person that's an entity well yeah, yeah like, like, that's a great point that's a great point because you know what he even said at one point you know there's there's the inside footage that that, that i we were able to see in court some of which i have and, and um, it's, he says in it, you know, um, that hurts, you know, when people say things about me. And, you know, they don't, they don't understand that, you know, I, I listen to that. I hear that. And, that, you know, that's why I can't watch the news because what they do is they just try to make me look crazy. And he talked about the baby dangling incident and how, you know. Which was crazy. <laughs> which was crazy. Yeah. He was trying to show his fans the baby because they were down below his balcony begging for him to show them the baby. So he helped the baby out to make him see the baby, and it was crazy that he did it. But the thing is that he points out that the media, the news, runs it over and over and over again. So the more they keep rerunning it in this, you know, the cycle, the loop, the crazier he looks. Yeah. You know, he was a good dad. Yeah. He did one crazy thing. Think about every person that you know on the planet. You think no person ever held their kid up the wrong way? Definitely, I've definitely held my son up the wrong way. Yeah. He was under such a scrutiny, such a microscope, and of course, Bashir was there to catch that moment, so like mm-hmm. documented also, but oh, it didn't matter because it was all over the news, but think about if you were under that constant scrutiny every minute of your life. Like, you're basically living on TV. This yeah. is before there was reality TV. He was his own reality show no matter what he did yeah that's true 
I mean, it, it's the the news was basically the Michael Jackson show, for right? A long, forever, and it's all and it was always it was never like good news either. Yeah, it was always like. Yeesh. And you you mentioned in the book, uh, or you just mentioned a, a second ago the the pajama incident, which you touch on in the book also, which. That's another thing that I always just, I think, was always reported to us as, look at this crazy guy who showed up to court in his pajamas for no reason. And when you read the book, there's actually a valid explanation for Slumber it. Slumber party? Well, he was... And that's the funny, funny thing, right? Slumber party. But he, yeah. he was on... Look, we, we know he was on drugs. We know now that, you know, he was... He was in, from the days of the Pepsi commercial, he was, in, he was on painkillers. He... You know, supposedly cleaned up and then he went back. He clearly was he was out of hospital getting some kind of medications and what happened was they called to the court and said he's got, he's gonna be late, he's in the hospital and the judge said if he doesn't get here by the time of court starting, we are gonna put him in jail. Wow. That that judge was very biased against him. That's him. a that's yeah. a dick move. Yeah. That's what happened. So Jeez. so the reason he showed up in pajamas was because they was literally they sped at 100 miles an hour to get him there by the time of uh, the, the, the start time, I think it was 8 a.m., mm-hmm. um, I believe. I think it was an early start time for that truck. because I remember she's sitting outside at 5 and 6 in the morning waiting to get in. So uh, it was just insane. So that's why that happened. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was really, really interesting. And there's, yeah, there's just so much in this book that I did not know about the Michael Jackson trial. And I think it's... It's uh, it's something people should definitely read. One thing I did, I don't know if you touched on it near the end of the book. Um, there was that incident after Michael Jackson died where they allegedly went in and found a bunch of questionable porn in his possession. Do you know? Do you have any insight on that? Is that? I'll tell you exactly what that was about. That porn was in a storage locker, but that porn was all brought into court. We saw days and days and days of Michael Jackson's porn magazines. Some of them were Playboys, some of them were teen uh, porn magazines. Um, None of them were gay porn, none of them were pedophilia porn, none of them were anything like that. Um, But we saw it. The, The prosecution already had all that stuff. They showed it to us for days and days. It wasn't just like one or two magazines. It was, it was like every magazine he ever had. They put it all on the screen and chose the covers of these magazines. Wow. And uh, yeah, and oh. it was all to prove that in the, you know the, their case was that he was grooming young boys right. to you know, and that's what these magazines were used for. And of course, Nesero took that to say, you know, how hilarious is this that Michael Jackson likes Playboy magazine. Yeah. I mean, he reads it for the articles. <laughs> I mean, because Playboy was in there. Now, there, there, were, there was a magazine called Barely There, I think, which was more geared to teens. But again, you've got to think about who is Michael Jackson. He is a child teen person in a man's body. And so, yes, he's going to look at something. So, yeah, any of the porn that was found, it was all, uh, it was legal, basically. Like, there was no actual child oh, pornography yeah. found in his yeah. possession. Because I, I rem- the thing I remember, the thing I remember reading about was there was, like, like animal torture in some of it. Like, with the stuff that was discovered last year, when they were, like, they found this big cache, and there was, like, uh, images of kids, animal torture, some gore was involved in that, and, and that was, I remember that, like, hit the news just last year, and it was, like, this kind of big thing, and, and then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I'll tell you, I went on, you know, USA, USA Today, um, newspaper called me about it, and I, they asked me, and I commented about it at the time, um, and it was just over a year ago. There was no, that, that was a storage facility that had already been dealt with through, remember, the raid on Neverland, Included, I think it was 70 police officers. Think about that. Mm-hmm. They sent that out to law enforcement there. And they took everything. Anything and everything they could. I mean, they ransacked. So... Did they did they ride the rides? <laughs> they, were there? they were like, well... I mean, no, I'm a roller coaster. Yeah. How, yeah, how often were you here? How often were you here? Let's get a hold this box. I'm going to go on the loop to move. They were having a... Oh, yeah, you're, they were at an amusement park. Yeah, I get that. Right. 
I said they were at an amusement park, so I get that they were going a little bit above and beyond <laughs> searching and seizing. Seizing with cotton candy in their hands. Mm-hmm. That place, the theaters and, the, and everything that, that Michael had in here, he was a hoarder. So the stuff that he had, I mean, it's just like insane amount of stuff. Okay. And, you know, yeah. it was, it's very strange to look at it, the yeah. collections of stuff that he had, and the weird, and, weird kind of stuff, weird dolls. And also, when you realize he's a, he's a hoarder, you realize that's why he has so much porn. Hoarders don't want to throw away porn. Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. No, yeah. I'm not even a hoarder, and I don't throw mine away. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing but the thing is really again, if you the average person, if you were to live in one place for a long time, and you're a single guy, and somebody were to go through all of the stuff you ever had. What do you think? Do you think that they're gonna find something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying. Be bad. Yeah. So outrageous. But the other thing too is about those allegations. If that was found, do you not think that somebody would have already sold that to TMZ by now, and we'd be seeing gorilla art? Yeah. By Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Let's get some of that. Breaking news from Neverland Ranch! <laughs> 80 gigs of hard drives of pornography! <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's ridiculous when you think about it because they make the allegations, and this is again what Jackson complained about and cried about. He was practically tears about the fact that people would just make allegations against him, and there's nothing you can do about it. It just, yeah. it would feed off of itself. Yeah. Let's let's um. You mentioned Tom Mesereau. He wrote the the foreword to the book, and he was Michael Jackson's lawyer uh, during the trial. He's going to be representing Bill Cosby on his upcoming retrial. Oh, that is that is the rumor. I, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but it has. I think he confirmed it in an off interview in Philadelphia. But yeah, he has been approached. Do you see any parallels at all between the Michael Jackson case and what's happening with Bill Cosby? Or is this more of a thing where there probably is some truth behind those accusations? I don't think there's any question there's truth behind those accusations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, Mesereau is a phenomenal lawyer, and if you're going to hire somebody and you're in trouble... And you need a defense lawyer. He's the best in the business, as far as I can see. And I've been in a lot. I've been in trials for 20 years, watching criminal trials. You know, covering criminal trials. I mean, I've been at OJ's trial. I was there in Vegas when he got convicted. I mean, I've been at all these trials. The good so, conviction. Anthony, you name it, I've been there. I'm, I'm telling you, Mesereau is the top. Okay, nice. Because he's great. It's a great call on his part to get Mesereau. Because what Mesereau is going to try to do is, is throw this out based on not enough evidence, and the fact that it's an old case, and you know, you, you almost got a he said, she said here, I don't know what proof, and if they can, and I believe that they're not allowing a lot of these other accusers in, that's, you know, that's going to really hurt, and, and probably why the jury deliberated so long in the original trial against Cosby, because you, you know, you really, you don't have a smoking gun. Yeah, yeah. I do. I feel like Cosby is just super bummed he didn't die three years ago. <laughs> like if he had died, he was like, "I'm not about to die," and then like, and it's gonna be in jail. He's like, "Oh, like oh, that's no good." Like he, because he really like he made it. Let's be honest. He's got a good forty years of getting away with some pretty harsh rapes. Yeah, yeah. And then he's just like, "Hey, I'm right about to die. My eyes going. You know, <laughs> I'm on my way out." And then all of a sudden, just Hannibal Burris. Just in a like a random aside of a rip is like you break people, yeah. And then it just blew up like, and that's weird too that everybody knew about Bill Cosby, like like comedians especially, but like Hollywood has known about that for so long, and it's funny that it just recently became a thing. Yeah, I know, and that that is crazy when you think about it, um, because in this day and age, you know, with TMZ and everything else, you think that everybody knows everything and everything comes out. But the fact is that it was back in time. And whatever dark secret it was, I can tell you, I did not know a thing about it. And actually, oddly enough, right before this news broke, I actually went to see Bill Cosby. 
Oh, wow. Uh, he was playing at a small venue called the Paramount Theater in Huntington, New York. And I small. went. <laughs> I was a Cosby fan. I've seen him. I've seen him live too. I have. Yeah, yeah it was a great experience. <laughs> So he comes out, and I mean, the crowd is going crazy. They're whistling. They're going nuts. And he just holds his hands up like, okay, got it. You know, he's so used to this complete and utter adoration. He's so comfortable in his own skin. He's wearing a sweatshirt. He sits down the whole time. He does his thing. He leaves the stage. Everybody's happy. And then, like, it was what was days later, this yeah. news broke. And when it first broke, friends of mine were saying, this is a bunch of BS. This is a woman who just is acting. If this was something real, you know, why wouldn't this have come out years ago? Uh -oh. The public, the public may have known, and his handlers did, but the public didn't know. Yeah, this is funny because I remember on Thirty Rock they did a joke about it when he yeah. was. It was uh, was it Godfrey was pretending to be Bill Cosby on the phone, and Tracy Morgan's like, I know what you did to my aunt. She trusted yeah. you. And yeah, and that like, was way before. It that was yeah, two thousand six. I want to say two thousand seven. Like it's crazy. To see that now, and it was such a thing, it was just it was casually talked about. Like when I saw that video, when I saw the video of Hannibal doing the bit, I was like, "Oh, that's a good reference. That's good." Yeah, and I didn't think I was like, "Oh, that's going to change everything." Yeah, like it was. It, it didn't even hit me that way because I, I automatically just thought this was one of those things like, like, "Hey, did Christopher Walken murder that lady on the boat?" <laughs> like everybody's like, "Oh." Maybe, <laughs> like, like we're just kind of like, there's a lot of there's a lot of probably in Hollywood where we just like we just gloss over like Woody Allen for example. Yeah, like everyone's like, yeah, he probably touched some kids. <laughs> he he's probably done a lot of nasty nasty things, but you know he's you know he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there are people who can look it down. There are people who can't. Woody Allen was somehow able. To yeah. You know, jump over that threshold. I it beats me how I, I know he's talented, but I just he never still had the same adoration that he did before. You know, he went and married his daughter. Yeah, yeah, that's like how how that just like in Living Color and Saturday Night Live made fun of it, and then everyone's like, it's fine now. That yeah. blows my mind. And his, his I remember in his vows, in his marriage vows, he said, "The heart wants what it wants." <laughs> and it's like that's a super molesty thing to say out loud. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like it wants what it wants. It's like that's what you say when you're defending yourself against the father of the but child. But let's be honest: if you say something really creepy in your vows, your anniversary is that much more special. Yeah. It's yeah. A very good point. That's yeah. a good point. Because you know what? Memories. Yeah. That's what psychopaths live off of. Yeah, but it is. But and it's sort of going in the direction that you were saying, where some people it was like water off a duck's back, and then some people are just it follows them forever. Yeah, and and and, and some people though again, like Cosby, he was under the radar to the masses. Just like I mean, the one parallel there is is that Michael Jackson being possibly innocent has been under the radar to the masses. Right. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? Like that's not possible. You're kidding. I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, well, the same thing uh, opposite with Cosby is when that first came out, the masses were like, what? Yeah. Do you know about this? Like, are you yeah. kidding? Like, and, and the insiders in Hollywood were like, oh, yeah, we knew about it. Which is, yeah, yeah. which is also weird because, like, in a way, having known about that in the past, like, we all kind of had an idea, it makes you feel like a fraction complicit. That yeah. like, in a way, which is which makes it even worse. Because like when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that's a thing people know about. And then I was like, wait, why did why am I why have I never said something out loud about that? Like yeah. it's all speculation. I wanted to ask a question um, for you um, because we're talking about sort of these scandals and these legal legal scandals. Uh, what do you think about sort of the R. Kelly situation legally? Like where where his because he seems to have been really Teflon over the past. Uh, splash proof even? Yeah. <laughs> oh. The R. Kelly. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, Surprised you with that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you did because I don't know now this accusations that are, that are current. Um, their daughter is being a daughter is being held against her will, and he has a cult. It just. I don't know. This is just... It, it is weird, but there were parallels for me with the MJ stuff, because it's another one of those, like, yeah, we've heard about that kind of a thing, and it's like, there are so many of his fans that love his music so much that 
they'll believe the, innocence no matter what. I think too. the difference with R. Kelly, though, is there's, like, legal document. Like, the, the marriage certificate to Aaliyah, that's, like, that's not forged. Like, yeah. that was filed with the state of Illinois. And that was, like, concrete proof that he at least had something for uh, underage women. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, we never really saw that with Michael Jackson. We just kind of heard. Yeah. So that... Oh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely more there. Uh, and in, in the case of Jackson, it was more, if anybody knew anything, it had to be members of his inner circle. Whereas uh, with Kelly, uh, there's documentation. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, wild world we live in. Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm happy that uh, we finally have an R&B star with a cult. <laughs> we yeah. never had that before. It's That's so true. Bad. It's cults have been predominantly white dude dominated. Yeah, it's about right. to this market. Yeah, we're really first, bringing it out. You know what? First president, now cult leader. Guys, we are moving up in the ranks right now. I'm, I'm happy. I'm I'm killing it. What I like is the fact that you know. His, Kelly's inner, inner circle are, you know, all supposedly of legal age, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, it, all these allegations, you know, he's been acquitted of any charges of making child porn. Yeah, right. He's, you know, he's apparently, I, I don't know uh, whether or not he's ever going to have any, have to, have to answer to this. It is so crazy. Yeah. Closure agreements with him as well. Wow. Yeah, it, that's what Cosby needed. To and do. it it seems like he's yeah, exactly ah, or just sign yeah. sign for them while they're passed out. And you know what? <laughs> he should have hired them as actors and extras in his stuff and all his movies. Made him sign NDAs. Yeah. And then yeah, the thing the thing with R. Kelly now I'm, it I'm, seems like he's got kind of a like a Menudo type system in place where when one Gets too get old, old, they just kick them out. They just get replaced. Just, just a, an eternal boy band. Yeah, and they gotta hope that solo career goes well. Probably not a lot of Ricky Martins coming out of that. Yeah, R. Kelly's Power Rangers. <laughs> I would like to just uh, again distance myself from the views of Jeff May, giving you <laughs> the how to be a better rapist. Camp just now. Look, uh, that was a little weird. I'm not saying that that's a thing one should do. I'm saying if you don't want to get caught. <laughs> It's like that murder by the numbers movie. Like, there's a way oh, to yeah. get away with it, but you know, don't. Yeah, don't do it. But if you're gonna, but if you want to be a part of this cult, though, you know, this is the way to do it. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. Or if you want to start your own cult, learn from the people ahead. If you want to, I say go good. for it. So, uh, before we get out of here, let's talk about your uh, podcast. It's called Sex, Love, and Murder, and your next episode is about Clark Rockefeller. Is that correct? Nice. Yeah, do you remember him? Yeah, there's a documentary. I watched a documentary about Clark Rockefeller, but I don't remember the entire story. I know it's a crazy one, though. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So here's do, do your podcast on our podcast. <laughs> Tell us everything you need to talk about. The thing is, one of the things the podcast is focused on is stories that involve twisted sexual triangles and love, crazy love stories that somehow go often wrong. And in this case... What's so amazing about Clark Rockefeller is, first of all, the guy had, I don't know, 10 different names. He came over as a German immigrant when he was a teenager, and he lived in the United States from the 1970s until 2007 is when he kidnapped his own daughter as being a Rockefeller. So all, all those years, he's in the United States with all these different names, crossing the zigzagging across the country, and mostly living in the most wealthy parts of the country. So he moves to San Marino in the 1980s, which is right outside Pasadena, which is a very wealthy enclave, okay? This is where uh, folks like the E. Harmony family have a place, where the public storage family have a place super, super huge money. And he, he invents himself in that community, and he, he passes himself off as a baronet, which is, he has you believe he's royalty. And he goes from there to ultimately having people believe that he's a Rockefeller living in Manhattan. He married a Harvard MBA. Wow. Making $2 million a year. So this guy was good. I mean, you want to talk about genius. Yeah. A dialogue model genius. That's his guy. This guy's cool. And, 
Simple time back then. You can get away with a lot. You know what's great? He started his career in Boston, then moved out to L.A. So if you want Just to like see some parallels of my <laughs> life with good old Clark, plus I used to be another name and I'm a serial killer. <laughs> All those things. It's a little bit different. He started Connecticut and moved to L.A., but he wound up in Boston. <laughs> ah, yeah. crazy that Gilligan's Island is the thing that, that he's calling everyone little buddy. <laughs> oh, Thurston. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> oh, he was doing the... Get him the uncle You're Madonna lover. Definitely. Do you know when, when does that episode of your podcast come out? It just dropped. Oh, oh! So everyone, everyone, go listen to that, and also go listen to the episode of White War and True Crime that Aphrodite is on with Caitlin and Carrie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, fun, yeah, fun, yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're fantastic. So I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And um, yeah, so the podcast just launched. There's there's actually two episodes out there. The first one's about, listen to this, a guy who was on a reality show who called Megan Watts a Millionaire, a VH1 show, who wound up being a cold-blooded murderer. That, yeah. Isn't that the one where he puts her in a suitcase? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. episode. I, yeah. Uh, Buena Park, California, in Orange County, to the dumpster. Oh, oh wow! I, I go on. I actually go to these places, nice. and like just like San Marino, I was there interviewing the neighbors and all of that. Um, I had to go to that dumpster and you know just interview the homeless guy that lives there. What that was like when those neighbors, you know, the person found that bloody suitcase. I mean, it's Jeez, did you get in a suitcase? <laughs> See what that was like. Hilarious. This is the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, this is the inside baseball people want to know. I, you know, I, I like your method. I do yeah. that. I really like that your commitment to, to journalism. Guys, it's, integrity. it's integrity and it's appreciated. Yeah. It's great. Yes, it is method journalism. I like that. Oh, most definitely. Go for it. Well, you were great. Yeah, thank you so thank you much so for much. doing this. We really appreciate it. Yes. Is there once again proving that Michael Jackson is a much better entertainer than Prince? Prince is better. I'm sorry. That's what not it? what this podcast is about. Uh, that's all I heard her say was Michael Jackson was better. Yes. Aphrodite, you and I are going to stay out of this. Uh, <laughs> we'll let them take each other out. Michael, <laughs> I have to tell you, though, Michael was very jealous. Not jealous, but that was his one sore spot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Because Prince was better. <laughs> uh, Michael Jackson uh, wrote The Bartman. So uh, there's that. Too, yeah. So is there uh, anything else you want to plug or anything you want to tell everyone before we sign off? Uh-huh. Um, I am really good. I just wanted to say, um, you know, if you want Twitter at SLM Podcast, go there. Or find me on Facebook, Sex, Love, and Murder. And, uh Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Love your show. Thank you so much Thank for you so much. being on. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we will. Uh, this will be up this week. So we'll, nice. we'll tag you in the tweet and everything when it goes up. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank we'll you. talk to you later. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay. Oh, we have to erase the whole thing and yeah. start over. Yeah, I don't know why her – it's – I hope that's not going to sound weird because her. It looked like it was coming through. It was coming it through, but it was coming through really quiet. Yeah, you can fix it a little. But bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and fix it. Make Jess do it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Here, have some work on this one. Yeah, more realistically, we'll have Jess do it. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, she was great. And Jeff was here. And Jeff was here. Why would you say something like that? Wow, the truth. That, that's what I was told to talk to and raised to do. We should get the fuck out of here. Hey, next week come to our second un. Pops live stand-up show at the Alex Theater in Glendale. 7.30 p.m. Doors open. 8 p.m. The show starts. Your headliner, Alex Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Also, John Fahey will copyright be the, there. Copyright uh, the Monday show. Uh, yep, copyright the Monday show. Carrie Martin will be there. Vanessa Gritton will be there. I know those people. I will be there. Uh, who are you? I am Quincy Johnson. Oh, night, night. The second night. And, uh, so wait, does that mean I can't let you progress with me? <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, come out to that. Go to Unpop or go to Eventbrite.com and search Unpops to reserve a spot. It's free, but space is limited. And we hope we see you at that. And subscribe to all our other podcasts on Patreon.com/Unpops. It's only five dollars a month, cheap bucks. Who else has stuff to plug? What day is this coming out? This is coming out this week, Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, well, if you're listening to this and you're in the Phoenix area, come out to Comedy on Main Street in Mesa, Arizona, 8 p.m. on uh, Friday, Thursday? Yeah, 8 p.m. on Thursday. Come hang out. We'll be in Mesa, kicking it. Me, Kevin Anderson, Samir Suri, friends of the show. We're going to have a good time. And then on the 22nd, come out to Nerd Melt for Blame Social Media. Nice. We got Tone Bell, Ron Funches, Moshe Kasher. It's going to be a good goddamn time. Nice. And Ramana. Jeff? Midtown Card is the second Friday of every month. Uh, Edit that out, Beautiful Magnolia, Blast from the Past. Uh, we got a great lineup, uh, including just shored up some pretty great drop-ins uh, by my man's Adam Todd Brown and possibly Quincy L. Johnson. The Gross! What? Ugh. Along with a lot of uh, other really, really great, talented people. Um, so come to that. 
uh, on the 10th, I think I'm on David Huntsberger's show. Ooh. Oh, nice! Yeah, Huntsberger's show. That's uh, a fun uh, show. Huntsberger's show for, uh, in Culver City. I, I'm going to have to email because... It's in Culver City? That doesn't maybe. sound I don't know. Right. I'm going to have to figure it I out. I think it's in Koreatown. Unless it moved, it's still in L.A. Korea, see? Oh. oh, that's even better. Still at the Copper Still, right? Uh, that's all It's, it's all good, baby. Ooh, it's pupuses. all good. I'll find it. The papooses are still good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we got that going for us. So check those things out. And then, you know, find us on the socials. The socials. Social. Oh, subscribe. Subscribe. Leave us subscribe. good ratings, too. Yeah, yeah. Good, good ratings good on ratings iTunes. Uh, if you got, you know, call with questions, comments, and concerns at 505-386-767. Fun Pops. It is 505 Fun Pops. I hate you both. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Quincy, say goodbye. Goodbye. Jeff, say goodbye. You get the kid that Michael Jackson probably didn't touch. Rookie girl. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. We love you.